Yes, that's the sign of the werewolf. That's just a legend, though, isn't it? Yes, but like most legends, it must have some basis in fact. It's probably an ancient explanation of the dual personality in each of us. How does it go? Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the unenthusiastic critics' Halloween movie marathon. and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Joining me today, because have you ever tried talking to a corpse? It's boring. Is my lovely wife, Nikia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Oh, Lord. It's been a while. All right. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I forgot about those little things you do there. The little things the, I do. The little things. Mm-hmm. Little references you pull. Yeah. yeah. Okay. On this week's episode, Nikki and I undertake a four-week mission of mystery, <laughs> monsters, murders, and the macabre as we begin the Unenthusiastic Critics' fourth annual Halloween movie marathon. Oh, wow. Each week in October, we'll be discussing at least one horror movie, and we're starting Only. this... Only. At least one. <laughs> and we're starting this week with an indispensable and indisputable classic, John Landis's 1981 horror comedy, An American Werewolf in London. Hard disagree. <laughs> Nikia, what with one thing or another, (laughs) we have been on hiatus for several months Uh at this point. And I know living without the podcast has been harder on you than it has Mm. been on our listeners. How did I feel my time? But I did I did hear from a few people concerned Like two people. That several of our fans concerned that we were going to skip our sacred Halloween tradition this year. Are we using the word sacred? I am using the word sacred. I feel like that is sacrilegious. And I'm calling this the fourth annual horror marathon, which from the perspective of the podcast, it is. Okay. But as you know, long before The Unenthusiastic Critic was a podcast, it was a blog series, Mm -hmm. which we launched uh, way back in 2011. So Why are we still doing this? That's 10 years. That's too long. 10 years, you have spent an entire decade watching movies that you really didn't want to watch. That's a very long time. And a grossly disproportionate number of those have been horror movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why do you think that is? Because you make me. <laughs> I don't make... I don't have the power to make you do anything. Some weird abusive relationship that I've allowed myself to settle into. And it's only when you put the numbers to it and I'm just like, oh shit. I should have stopped this a long time ago. <laughs> Rethink my life choices. <laughs> All right. So I think after 10 years mm-hmm. and counting of this, I feel like it's time for you to come clean on this issue. Okay. Because you have always held this line that you hate horror movies. Yes. Uh, if people want to go back to earlier posts and podcast episodes and really just pick one, <laughs> they will hear a discussion about how much you hate horror movies and what a monster I am for subjecting you to horror movies. Yeah. And I think what I have finally realized is that it's simply not true. So you're calling me I a think liar. I, I am straight up calling you a liar to your face mm-hmm. on the record. Mm-hmm. 
I think at the very least you have a love-hate relationship to horror. Mm-hmm. You've always said that you don't you don't like being scared and you don't understand why anyone would willingly pay for the privilege of being scared. Yes. Which I guess I'll buy, although I think there are a number of genuinely scary movies that you genuinely enjoy. Okay. True. I would need to think about that, but okay, sure. Okay. Let's let's say that that's the case. But I also think you actually have a weird fondness for horror movies that don't scare you, that are just kind of cheesy and ridiculous. And will, yes. will you admit to that? I admit that. Yes, that is true. Sure. Because I, and I think I we've had this conversation before too. I, it's not unusual for me to wander into the room and find you watching terrible horror movies <laughs> all on your own accord. Uh-huh. Yes, that has happened. I mean, we have a good cable package. We have all the movie channels. We subscribe to, I don't even know how many too of many those things. damn streaming services and things now. There are too many things. We have a large DVD library. Mm-hmm. And yet, just a week or so ago, I come into the living room and I find you watching Friday the 13th part whatever, Jason Takes Manhattan. Because it was called, how do you not, if you're flipping through channels and you see something called Jason Takes Manhattan, my reference for anyone taking Manhattan is the Muppets. I got to see that. <laughs> like, how do these two films then compare? The Muppets took Manhattan. I know what that looks like. What does it look like when Jason takes Manhattan? My mistake <laughs> was trusting the title. Because what I, what we found was that... Yeah, I sat down and watched a little of this, and none of it seemed to be anywhere near Manhattan. A bunch of that fucking movie takes place on a random-ass boat, I guess, on the way to Manhattan. So it's but really, that doesn't count. Right. So it's like Jason takes people on this boat trip. So I didn't even make it to when he eventually... So you didn't even get to... You I don't, don't even know if they I don't, ever I have no idea. I mean, did he go to Broadway? When did they get to the fireworks factory? Yeah, exactly. Like, so... <laughs> I never actually get to, got to see Jason take Manhattan because it was falsely advertised. But of course you're going to sit down and watch that. Why of course? Because. We watched the original Friday the 13th for the podcast and mm-hmm. you did nothing but bitch and moan about it. Because it was terrible. Well, it's not a good movie, but that's beside the point. Thank you. Thank you for admitting that. <laughs> I admit but this it was then. Okay, but now he's taking Manhattan. <laughs> see, it's when you add that part that I'm now interested in what's going on. Like, oh, that's okay. Let's talk about that. So that was the missing element. It's the context. It's like he shouldn't be there, and he's there. So what does he do in Manhattan? Mm, I, I, I'm going to guess that he just kills a bunch of people. Right, but he probably kills them in very, like, you know, quirky Manhattan ways. Like, hot dog vendors. I don't know. So that's what I wanted to see. But again, it was a good 40 minutes I don't know how much of that you watched. A pretty good chunk of that movie is just on this boat. Uh-huh. And so I sort of just tapped out. And so there's a harbinger on the boat who I guess is like a... Boat worker. Um, this is terrible. <laughs> That's called, like classist language. Um, a boat worker. There's a boat worker <laughs> who, before they even leave like the a dock, crew, a crew member, sure, whatever. Okay, sure, a boat worker. Some, they're called things. Uh-huh. Um, but recognizes that like something terrible has already happened. Like already sees blood, and he's like, "Oh, this is gonna be a bad. Like this is this this trip is doomed." Stays on the boat. <laughs> well, where's he gonna go? Through the whole, he could have got. They were still at the dock. He could have said, "You know uh-huh. what? I'm taking the day." Sick day. <laughs> Just going to take a day. Um, were the Muppets also on the boat? Because that'd be a good <laughs> the, fight. The Muppets were not on the boat. That would be an awesome fight. The Muppets were not on the boat. Jason versus the Muppets versus for the Muppets. Manhattan. Miss Piggy would kick his ass. Well, there's no I think she would that. destroy him. <laughs> so, 
That's why I watched it because he was now taking Manhattan. So it wasn't any okay, affinity okay, for Jason fine. Horror. All right. Okay. Thank okay. you. So I, totally logical. Nope. Nobody buys that logic, but we're gonna we're gonna skip it. How you, okay. So that I can say three or four days after that, <laughs> what did I find you watching? Do you remember? I don't. What was I watching? Cult of Chucky. Oh yes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> why did I? <laughs> So here's the thing. So you mentioned earlier that like there is, we have talked about this before. My mom has a deep love for horror films. So I did not right. grow up not watching horror films. I, I watched them. I watched them because my mom loves them. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Chucky, the okay. first one. Because I, I, to be clear, I never made you watch no, any of those. you did not. No. And so I realized that I had only seen that Chucky. And then I've, I've seen parts of, or at least most of Bride of Chucky with Jennifer Tilly. But that's because, mm-hmm. again, so it's it's a very specific reason that I'm watching them. I watched Bride of Chucky because I love Jennifer Tilly. Okay. Like, I, just, I think she's amazing. Fair I think enough. she should just be in more things. She wasn't in this one, as far as I could tell. She was. Remember? It was, she, she was human again, and we couldn't remember. Oh, she was both out. human and a doll. Right, and then there right. was the dolls yeah, there, too. So okay. we, did, we came in in the middle, in media res, as they say. Um, <laughs> and so I wasn't sure how she became human again from the doll. Anyway, I don't know why. I, I think I just watched it because it was like, oh, well, here's another Chucky that I haven't seen. Let me see how this works out. Right. Okay, so this is all supporting my it point. It was not great. No. Which is that left to your own devices, flipping <laughs> channels, you are more likely to <laughs> land on Jason Takes Manhattan or Called of Chucky or Freddy vs. Jason or Could 13 you go Ghosts. Okay, or any hold, of the, no, pause, we're not. We've pause. done that before. We're not going to have the 13 Ghosts conversation. It's a good movie. It's not. It's really not. It is. My point is, and this is my sole point, you secretly love horror movies. I do not secretly love horror movies. What I do is I look for sort of background noise that I don't really need to pay attention to that doesn't really engage my mind in any way. So I'm not watching. That then speaks to, like, the level that I'm at. So, yeah, I'm watching the Chuckies. <laughs> I'm watching Jason Takes Manhattan because they're not scary and they're stupid. Again, we have, like, 600 channels, This you know. But, like, those are things that are going to be engaging my brain, and that's not what I'm looking for right I, now. I'm I, just I, looking I just, for I think to be... Should mildly entertained by something unfortunately those things are often not even entertaining <laughs> like the cults of chucky thing they're like four chucky's running around yeah there were a lot of chucky's in that movie i don't know where they all came from and i forgot how much that movie is just like can't you just kick the doll <laughs> <laughs> can't you just punt him across the room <laughs> like just pick him up and pull his head just off go, like how hard is just that? do that and then <laughs> one of the chucky dolls the one with the bad haircut gets shot For, did somebody stored a gun in the chucky doll's abdomen uh. <laughs> And so he goes into the oh, abdomen right, of the doll, stop. and when he does that, Please stop. all of these guts come out. So like the Chucky dolls have intestines. I was not aware. It's I'm, so, but these this are the is things. My, this is but my I, other point: is you could talk about these movies <laughs> all day long because it's fucking fascinating. Somebody and yet wrote we it down. The good movies, and you're like, I got nothing to say about that movie because I don't. I don't have a thing to say about that. Invite questions into your life. <laughs> Why does the Chucky doll have intestines? That is a fair question because there was another Chucky doll that had its arm ripped off, and but it, it was, was just, just like, like a doll, doll had lost its right. arm. Right. So, do they have flesh or do they not have exactly. flesh? Exactly. Can't be exactly. Both. And there's one. The head is cracked open and it's sewed up, and you're like, okay, well, does the Chucky doll scar? These questions <laughs> are why we watch these films. You would never have asked that question. Those are existential, deep. 
philosophical questions. <laughs> you put a gun in his intestines. Yeah. You then shoved your fist into his stomach to take the gun out, and out came his guts. How could he have been living? So this assumes <laughs> that he has like internal organs that are operating normally, but there's a gun in there, and yet the doll was walking around fine until you went in to retrieve the gun from his intestines. Those two, that doesn't work. You can't. The gun and being in the stomach in and of itself should have been enough to like make that doll not animated, right? All right. I he I, shouldn't have been able to live with the gun. In the I, I didn't budget forty five minutes to discuss Cult of Chucky. But this is what. But I'm, I'm going to play along for a minute. Okay. Was it not the case that Chucky Prime was had the ability to turn other dolls <laughs> yes, into Chucky? That is into, what happened. Okay, yes. so he could Im, you know imbue them there was some sort of with his essence. Yes. Okay, so I think what happened there was guy hides the gun inside just the doll. Okay. Doll is sent to where Chucky Prime is. Chucky Prime then animates the doll. So when the gun went in, it was just a doll. Okay. But when the gun comes out, it's a live Chucky, and therefore we have got some. But it's still a live Chucky stuff. with a gun in its stomach, so that should have still been like a problem. <laughs> It still should have been like, okay, that's Chucky with an ulcer. And so it should have still shown up in some sort of way. He still should have been like, oh, my fucking stomach hurts, dude. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. But I don't feel well. Feeling a little heavy. (laughs) All right, I'll grant you that. Heavy metal diet. This is terrible. The point is, but then you point out the other discrepancy, right? Is that one doll is not showing any presence of, like, viscera. Right. And the other one has intestines. Yeah. Very confusing. But a very interesting question. <laughs> is it? It is. Okay. And so this is why we watch those films, because we wouldn't be asking, what the fuck is Jason doing on a boat for 45 minutes? <laughs> it's enriching your life, really. The questions you didn't know you needed to be ask- asking and that you needed answers for. So therefore, my project to introduce you to all these movies is enriching your life. No, because you didn't introduce me life. to any of those. No. Those were things I came across on my own. <laughs> Without any of this. It's funny how only the ones you find on your own pose existential questions that are fascinating. Because yours don't actually have. uh, The answer is this is terrible. (laughs) That's the only answer. Okay, you want to talk about this one we're actually going to watch this week? No. (laughs) Did you ever see The Wolf Man? Is that the one with Oliver Reed? No, the old one. Mm -mm, I I don't think so. Bella Lugosi bites Lon Chaney Jr. and he turns into a werewolf. Why are you telling me this? No, listen. Claude Rains is Lon Chaney's father, and he ends up killing him. So? Well, I think that a werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves him. And we should we should admit up front that this, this is a bit of a departure for us. Yes. You know, I don't know if we have any new listeners joining us, <laughs> but the, the general premise of this show is that you watch movies that most people have seen. Mm-hmm. That you have not seen. Yes. Okay. Those parameters are pretty loose. But generally, we watch movies that you have not seen before so we can get your fresh, somewhat unique perspective on them. Mm -hmm. And this movie, you have actually seen before. Yes. We watched it at some point. I don't remember when. Okay. I think we watched it very early in our relationship. So we're talking 15 years ago. Okay. Long before we started documenting the experience. And you were you were not you were not into it. So I don't remember most of it, so okay. that pretty much what I means that I didn't care for it. I only keep what I like. 
So most of the films we've watched, I don't remember. If you asked me about that, I would not remember them. Okay, so why were you so eager to watch this one again? I wasn't. You said <laughs> that we were going to watch it again. I said, I don't remember shit about that movie, so that means I probably don't have much to say about it. And, but you insisted that this was a classic to your earlier <laughs> Okay, point. yeah, that was me. Yeah. So there, there's a handful of movies like that that we watched early in our relationship before we ever started The Unenthusiastic Critic mm-hmm. that I wish we had done for The Unenthusiastic Critic that I can't believe you didn't like. And, I mean, I, I think you got that one wrong. I definitely I think did. you got this one wrong, and I think you, I didn't. think you need to give it another There's try. There's never been a movie that I changed my mind about okay. in the entire time we've done this. <laughs> so I really don't think that's the case. That is not true. And this is part of my evidence here. Okay. Uh, the very first Halloween marathon we ever did when we were writing it for the blog, mm-hmm. we watched The Thing, which you and I had actually rented a couple of years before, and neither of us liked it. I don't remember that. Okay, this is true. It's all it's all documented oh, in the blog post. People can go read it. Yep. You and I had rented it. We had watched it. Neither of us had liked it. We both thought really? it was a terrible movie. And then when we did the marathon for the blog, I was looking at all these lists of the greatest, scariest horror movies of all time, and the thing was on every list, and I said, we got to try this movie again. Why didn't we like it? And we both loved it. Do you remember what, what we didn't like? Your theory was, and I think this is probably true, I think you fell asleep is what happened. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> because about 10 minutes into the thing, you were like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I would have remembered this. It's like a inside out goat or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah so <laughs> I must have fallen asleep on it. Yeah. But no, I loved it. But this is my point. Is sometimes you just you just have an off night with a movie. You're just not in the right that mood for it. That was not the it. case here, though. You don't know that. You just I said do, you don't I remember I, any of it. But I know that I stayed awake for the entire thing. How do you know that? Because they, like, shoot him in an alley or something, and there's a nurse. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, well, we're watching something I've already watched, so that's not a... Well, other people. Don't watch it. That's not a spoiler. Like, spoiler, don't watch this. So I know that I finished it. Okay. And no one in it had a fair didn't appreciate it. Like, you know... Like Kurt Russell. I mean, his hair is amazing in it. It's just beautiful. I, I think I think if you give it another chance, you might you might actually like this will be an experiment. We'll okay. see. And you're not allowed to just say you don't like it because then First of all, I'm to get to out of any hell further I want to do. Second of all, I'm pretty sure this is not gonna change my feelings about this movie. All right, I will I will provide some more support for my, my plan okay. today. Director John Landis, when he first showed this movie, his, first, his cut of this movie, to the producers, John Peters and Peter Goober, they were absolutely horrified. Mm-hmm. They were like, it's way too gory. They accused him of wasting $10 million of their money. They thought this was thing was going to be a disaster. And so John Landis said, okay, give me your notes. Tell me what your problems with the movie are. Give me two weeks to fix it, and then I'll show it to you again. So they agreed on that. He took the notes. And then, according to him, he went on vacation to Rome for two weeks and did not change a frame of the movie. Two weeks later, showed it to them again, the exact same cut of the exact same movie, and they liked it. Hmm. They were like, okay, thank you. (laughs) That's much better. Okay. Okay? So maybe a second look at this, knowing what to expect, you will appreciate it properly. Highly doubt it. Test audiences, the first test audiences did not like this movie. Landis says, you know, they had one test screening with like a thousand people, and by the end of the movie, there were a hundred people left in the theater because everybody else had left. Well done. The first round of reviews for this movie were not good. Gary Arnold in the Washington Post called it a minor fiasco destined for an obscure niche in the scrap heap of horror movies. Okay. Uh, Roger Ebert only gave it two stars. 
He thought the film curiously unfinished, as if Landis spent all his energy on spectacular set pieces and then didn't want to bother with things like transitions, character development, <laughs> or an ending. No, he preferred to go to Rome. Okay, but history has proven them wrong. Just a few weeks ago, on the 40th anniversary of the release of this movie, Peter Subsinski, writing on Ebert's website, called it an instant classic <laughs> and a masterful negotiation of the horror and comedy genres that's as effective today as it was back in the day. Can something be an instant classic if it was instantly hated? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. I think. All right. Really, I just wanted to watch this movie. Yeah, again. no, I know what and, this is about. You know... It has absolutely nothing to do with me. You just want to watch the movie, which you can just do on your own time. It is... It's the, way more fun to watch things just, with you, though. Okay, right. See, and this is where we get into the problems of our relationship. <laughs> All right. I, I was going to do some background and stuff on this movie, but, you know, frankly, we, we spend way too much time on Cult of Chucky, so... We should really be just I, I think I, I'll, I'll, I'll work some, you know, nuggets of information into the discussion after we watch the movie, but I think we, we should just go watch it. And try, just, all, all I'm asking is that you try to bring to it the same openness and philosophical curiosity that you bring to Friday the 13th Part 9, Jason Takes Manhattan. I make no promises. <laughs> this is the story of two young American students traveling through England on a night of the full moon. Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Fate let one live. That lunatic must have been a very fierce fellow. Wasn't a lunatic. What? A wolf. Oh, be serious, would you? And now everything is changing. 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 Good Lord. John Landis, the brilliant young director of Animal House and the Blues Brothers, has turned a classic tale of terror into something new. Something different. Excuse me. A naked American man stole my balloon. I'm a werewolf. An American werewolf in London. Something different. And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched An American Werewolf in London. Okay, so let's just do a quick background on this, since I didn't do it up front. There isn't that much to say about it. Writer-director John Landis originally wrote this script in 1969, when he was 19 years old. He was working as a gopher on the set of the movie Kelly's Heroes, that was shooting in Yugoslavia. And he says he and a friend came across a Romani funeral service where they were burying a criminal of some kind, a murderer or a rapist or something, and they were burying this man in an extra deep grave feet first so that he would not get up and walk out of it. And that notion of the supernatural existing within the modern world apparently provided the seed for this movie. Uh, so he wrote the screenplay, he went away and he wrote the screenplay, but he couldn't get anyone to produce it for more than 10 years. 
Uh, it was met with the usual objections that genre mashup movies get, which is that it was too scary to be funny and too funny to be scary. And that, I, I mean, I have to say that right there is right in my wheelhouse. That that mix of the funny and the scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. You, you probably don't because you blank all these things out. In one of our previous marathons, we watched Evil Dead 2. Vaguely. The hand fight. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in that episode, we had a whole conversation about comedy and horror and how similar they are and how well they go together. Mm -hmm. You know, being similar structurally and, you know, the elements of a good gag and a good scare are kind of the same, work the same way. But also how they're similar thematically, that they're both about sort of social transgression and making the audience a little uncomfortable, all of that. So anyway, I think a lot of stuff I like is in that in-between state of genres. So Landis couldn't get this movie produced for about 10 years, but then he had a string of hits in the late 70s and early 80s, including Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House, and The Blues Brothers. So producers John Peters and Peter Goober decided to take a chance on this tonally weird werewolf movie. You've seen Animal House, and we watched the Blues Brothers for mm-hmm. the podcast. Yeah. Um, you've also seen Trading Places, mm-hmm. John Landis, and Coming to America. Yeah. And of course, because Michael Jackson was such a huge fan of American Werewolf in London, Landis directed the iconic thriller video. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in there, Landis's career went to shit. His career never really recovered, and probably deservedly from uh, the the famous accident that happened at the set of the Twilight Zone movie, where actor Vic Morrow and two child actors, six and seven, Mm. were killed in a helicopter crash during a stunt. Jeez. And it was, I mean, there was a civil case that was settled for undisclosed amounts, and there were criminal charges that the criminal case went on for years, and charges of involuntary manslaughter brought against him and four members of the crew, I think. They were all acquitted, Mm. ultimately, but there was reckless shit going on on that set. The children were being paid off the books. They weren't even supposed to be there. They definitely weren't supposed to be shooting at night. They definitely weren't supposed to be shooting in a scene that had explosions and helicopters and stuff in it. Like, it was a disaster. Yeah. And yeah, he, after that, he wasn't blackballed or anything. He kept working, but his career never recovered from that. And I think probably deservedly. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, but this movie, this movie was not a huge hit. And as we discussed earlier, it was not critically beloved, but it did decent business. It made 30 million domestically and more than 60 million worldwide. And it has become an indispensable cult classic. Uh, What did you think of it, though? Watching it now again for the second time, allegedly. <laughs> I still don't love it. <sighs> it still didn't work for it you. It still didn't work for me. And I think, I mean, I think I enjoy films in that, that sort of toe that line between humor and horror. So the Shaun of the Dead, the Cabin in the right. Woods. And, and Edgar, the, Edgar Wright yeah. cites this movie as one of the biggest influences yeah. on him. You, I think you can see it in that horror comedy mix. And I think you can see it also in just like the... The soundtrack, mm-hmm. the use of the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and the sort of self pop culture self awareness of it. Yeah, so I totally respect that, and that absolutely absolutely should be hitting my buttons. Um, I think what I realized this time that I don't like about it, which then the entire film sort of crumbles around it for me, is the lead character. Oh no, <laughs> I do not like him. Um, this and, is David, played yeah. by David Naughton. 
I'm not invested in his well-being. Oh. I don't care about him as a character. I don't find him to be a great actor, so he's not believable. So the leaps that the movie is asking me to make because John Landis isn't spending an, a ton of time on like character development or you yeah, know no, not a lot flushing out the story <laughs> or anything like it's it's a little choppy in terms of how it flows as a story because none of that is being done. I feel like your your central actor then needs to get me immediately to buy into him and be invested in him. And I just do not like that actor or this character. So the whole rest of the movie, I just, I just don't, because I don't care about him and I don't believe anything that he's doing. There were witnesses? So they said. How could there have been witnesses? It was so dark. We were running and, and, and I fell and Jack went to help me up and this, this thing came from nowhere. I don't know what they're talking about. In time, I'm sure it'll all come back to you. Doctor, my memory is fine. It's my sanity I'm beginning to worry about. Okay. So. I mean, I, watching it this time, I definitely think he is, I don't think he's bad, but I would say he's the weakest link. Which is bad when you are the main character of the entire film. Um, He had not done much before this. John Lannis had hired him because he was... He was in a very popular Dr. Pepper commercial, the I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. That was David Naughton in, that was before your time, never mind. Yes, okay. Uh, (laughs) It's a weird way to get another job, but all right. Right. And I I think he has worked steadily ever since, but I would say he has not had a career that, he did not become a star off the back of American Werewolf either. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I actually have, I, I sort of agree with you, and I had more thoughts about that character. I think it's interesting what they do with it. Okay. Or to your point, don't do with it right in this movie that we will talk about uh, well other than that <laughs> other than the central other character than the of main the film. character who's in every scene of the movie <laughs> yeah uh did did you like anything else about it um so the soundtrack is very you know tongue in cheek so that's all right um, I mean, obviously the transformation scene, it is well done. It's amazing. Even looking at it from 2021, it is, it is well done. Right. Um, and really powerful. And so this is the other, it's like when I'm in a movie where I don't care about the person and then I'm waiting like an hour in a like 90 something minute film to mm. get to like the money shot. Then it's like, oh, can we just fucking turn into a wolf already and like move this shit along? But that transformation scene, it's just, it is, it's really great. And then Griffin Dunn. Okay, so if this movie had starred Griffin Dunn <laughs> in the lead role, but I don't, I, I don't know if it's Griffin Dunn or if it's Griffin Dunn as the corpse. That I, I mean, because it really is the corpse character that I just, I really did enjoy him as a character. Are you really dead, Jack? What do you think? I think I've lost my mind. I think you're not real. I think you're just another part of a bad dream. You've got to believe me, David. Believe what? That tomorrow night, beneath the full moon, I'll sprout hair and fangs and eat people? Bullshit. Oh, God damn it, David, please believe me. You'll kill and make others like me. I'm not having a nice time here. Well, I mean, what, so what about, what about Alex? What about Alex? Because I would, I would watch this movie just for Jenny Agutter. Of course you would. And I, I'm sure I did mm-hmm. many, many times. I'm sure most young men did. Uh, I actually found that quote from Edgar Wright as well when he was talking about this movie. He said, Jenny Agutter looms large in the masturbatory fantasies of many a teenage boy. So that's gross <laughs> to say. Like, can it, we not? It, it is, actually, yeah. However true it may be, let's not do that and let's not diminish her whole... Yeah, no. 
aspect of the film. But unfortunately, like, that is what her character is. And, of course, she's masturbatory because show me a hot woman who will love me in spite of all <laughs> of my very serious flaws. There, there are a number of flags being ignored. Who's still like, I love you. I love you. I'm attracted to you. I'm attracted to you. The, so here is the belief. Like, he's... I personally do not find him attractive. And so, okay. fine. I just don't... He doesn't... The leading man thing was just not working for me with him. He didn't even have, like, the goofy cute thing for me. Like, I was no. just like, who... Why this person? And then you add on, at best, he suffers from some serious mental illness. <laughs> or trauma. He's just been through a trauma. <laughs> at worst. She feels sorry for him. He is a werewolf has... who murders people. Okay. And she's fine with that entire range of shit. <laughs> That's a big ass range. She thinks his friend just died. He's been through this violent event of some kind. She feels sorry for him. She likes sad boys. That is what she says. I'll be perfectly honest with you, David. I'm not in the habit of bringing home stray young American men. I should hope not. I find you very attractive and a little bit sad. Go on. I've had seven lovers in my life, three of which were one-night stands. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Perhaps you'd like to watch telly whilst I take a shower. So I just want, I want better for us. I want better for little girls that grow up watching Mm -hmm. film of like, don't. Don't try to fix. Don't try to fix. Don't fall in love with the sad puppy. (laughs) Don't because it's just. The broken dude who may or may not be a werewolf. That is one dude. Do you know how many millions of men there are? (laughs) Do you know how many millions of women there are? (laughs) There would be better options. So that whole part of the film, I just had a, a, I couldn't get into it because then I was furious at her for like, (laughs) (laughs) like, I don't understand why you're bringing this sad puppy home. And then getting back to this idea of believability, like she says she she finds him attractive like two or three times in the movie as if she's convincing both herself and the audience. Because again, it's like, why do you find this person attractive? I do think that's true. I think they were sort of aware that this love story Kind of comes a little bit out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Like they know each other for two days, and now he's living uh, in your place, and again is suffering through something very serious, and yet you're totally in love with him, and you're saying, "Oh, I've only had seven sexual partners, three of them of which were like one night stands." Which why is she going into specific detail about that with him? <laughs> what is that trying to say? Like, well, she wants t- him to know that she doesn't bring every victim of attempted homicide home. <laughs> With her from the hospital. But in another film, that could sound like a lot to some. Like, that could very easily be like, oh, well, she, you're a whore. <laughs> so it's like, what, oh, how are we doing this? I just, yeah, I don't. Okay, so the, so the main character didn't work. The mm-hmm. love story didn't work. Um, okay. <laughs> let's back up. Let's. We're not going to go through the whole movie here, but let's talk about that first act leading up to the werewolf attack. Mm-hmm. For me, that's actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. All the stuff in East Proctor, the stuff in the pub, the slaughtered lamb, the creepy-ass locals. Mm -hmm. I I actually like that opening. Yeah, no, I mean, it it definitely does a really good job of establishing a mood, immediately establishing them as sort of fish out of water. And so I did appreciate that. I appreciated the whole bar scene where, you know, they walk in and it's like record scratch. (laughs) Uh, Jack, we better go. Are you kidding? I'm starved. There's no food here. 
Shall we go, Jack? Apparently so. You can't let them go. Uh, how much do we owe you? Nothing, lads. Go. God be with you. Oh, thank you. Wait! You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. Thank you. Beware the moon, lads. So, yeah, I do. I, yeah, that's probably the best part, I guess, because then you also get the two of them sort of bantering when they're walking. And mm -hmm. it feels so sure that's fine. And I actually think as much as this is a horror movie and I think it is an effective horror movie, most of the werewolf attacks later in the movie are not particularly scary, I think. I mean, we don't see very much of it. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. They sort of end the second the werewolf shows up. Mm hmm. Part of that being, I think they didn't want to show the werewolf very much. But I, I think that first scene where it's circling them on the moors mm -hmm. and the, that hideous howl, growl sound mm -hmm. is getting closer and moving around them, I think is one of the more effective, scary portions of the movie. Mm -hmm. It's a full moon. Beware the moon and stick to the road. Oops. I vote we go back to the slaughtered lamb. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. We're lost. Oh, shit, David. What is that? And then it just, the sudden violence of him being attacked. Like that, he is getting shredded. Yeah by this thing and it's that's the point at which you realize oh this isn't a comedy right like everything up until then you and this is what he was saying what john landis had said about the test audiences is that you know a thousand people showed up for this test screening that was advertised as the new film for the director of animal house and they came in and they weren't expecting to see this one of the apparent yeah. two lead characters just get shredded screaming mm -hmm. um so it is it's jolting but i like that about it Again, yeah. I mean, I think those two things can marry well when you do the work. I just feel like this movie doesn't always do the work. Um, and so it it was maybe more successful in that first half than it was in the second half for me. But again, it's just because the second half becomes more about David, who I just, I have a problem with him. <laughs> Whereas I would have preferred to, like, walk around with Jack and his, like, skin neck there's a piece of <laughs> neck skin when he is first okay. so let's attacks. talk about let's talk about That's that like yeah. fluttering in the wind and it was i just i would rather spend another hour with that piece of neck skin than spend any more time with david so this is yeah so he gets out of the hospital he goes home with with alex they it's after they have sex for the first time right that jack shows up in her. No, Jack shows up at the hospital. Oh, Jack shows up at the hospital. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The first, right. He shows up in the hospital room. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and he doesn't, doesn't look, doesn't yeah. look good. Can I have a piece of toast? Get the fuck out of here, Jack. Thanks a lot. No, I can't take this. Am I asleep now, awake or what? I realize I don't look so hot, David. I thought you'd be glad to see me. David, you're hurting my feelings. <laughs> it's so well done. And there's just this little piece of neck skin. And this flaps. is something throughout the movie 
John Landis had said he did not want, you know, the way, like, especially the werewolf transformation is done, but even the rest of the makeup, he didn't want it to be done in the dark where you, you know, you can't see mm -hmm. that, that the darkness, the lighting is compensating for the makeup and mm -hmm. for the tricks and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all in bright light. You can sit there and just stare at that makeup on Jack yeah. through that whole scene and see those little details. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that neck flap everybody talks about. And that's... Uh, Rick Baker, the the makeup artist, has said that was an accident. That was just it was just something that wasn't glued down right, <laughs> and it vibrated it when he talked. <laughs> there's this episode. This is gonna be random, um, but it reminded me of there's an episode of The Simpsons, the Three Eyed Fish episode. Yes, where <laughs> yeah, I know Mr. Exactly Burns comes and eats about. it, and he picks up a fork filled with a fish, and it's just like this <laughs> really wrinkly like little bit, and it's just fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like little moments like that. <laughs> are perfect and it, i loved it and i was just that's where i want to spend my time let's follow the neck flap and then forget all this other stuff and he's in a good mood he is jack is very considering cheery and upbeat considering well he's in a good mood and saying you also need to kill yourself yeah which is i appreciate <laughs> i agree he does need to kill himself and yeah his his makeup gets worse yes. and worse yes. as we go through the movies deteriorating one wonders if he'd been a if he you know what what would he have looked like eventually I mean, eventually, I, I imagine he would have just turned to, like, dust or something. Like, at, at some point, you just start to <laughs> fall apart. Because the deterioration bit. is pretty rapid it here is, from yeah. the first time we see well, him. Well, maybe it's, like, dog years the last sort of thing time when you die. It's like... uh, yeah, but he brings the news that, yes, David, you have been bitten by a werewolf. You will turn into a werewolf. I am doomed to walk the earth until the werewolf's bloodline is severed. You're going to have to die. Mm -hmm. But, again, David just thinks this is a hallucination or a bad dream. We gotta talk about the dreams too. Those are weird. Okay. I don't know what to make of those. Okay. Because again, it speaks to I think a deeper film than what this ended up being. So the the first few are like it's just him, which I think we tend to see these in like like in throat films. It's like, oh, the person is now dreaming about themselves running wild in the woods and like eating right. raw meat and stuff like that. So that's the first few of them. And then all of a sudden we switch into this like weird Muppet Nazi attack. <laughs> It's like, what the fuck is this? Where did this come from? Where they like murder his entire family while uh -huh. he watches. Yeah. So, and then he just wait and like, we don't talk. Like, so I don't, I'm unclear of like what the hell that was. Okay. Several critics have talked about this as an explicitly Jewish horror movie. Okay. Um, Joshua Rothkopf in Rolling Stone calls it the most exquisitely neurotic and expressly Jewish movie in the horror canon. <laughs> okay. And I think we can talk about how well or how much that's developed. So I think that's what that's supposed to be, is part of it is just that sort of outsider status, feeling mm -hmm. like an outsider, weaving that into the werewolf myth, you know, them walking into that pub mm -hmm. in northern England. And, and then I think that's what that nightmare scenario is. Like, what's, what's the nightmare? It's the nightmare is Nazis are going to come in and slaughter your entire family, mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. So that that's what his greatest fear is. Okay. But it, like, okay. So it's specifically Jewish anxieties yeah. coming out. I guess I feel like, okay, then we, like, let's do some more. Because otherwise it wasn't really his Jewishness. And they were outsiders because they were American. It didn't, I didn't read anything, but, and perhaps I just missed something mm -hmm. that felt that anything was in, about the, well, it does come up. That's it, from the hospital scene. They start talking about him being a Jew right there. Remember, the nurse is like, "Oh yeah, I had a peak." 
Oh, yeah, I guess they do. Yeah. Okay. I don't, it just feels like well, I, underdeveloped. I, ac- I, just... I actually agree with you, and that's... I, I think there's a lot of meaning and subtext here. Mm-hmm. If you want to tease it out, mm-hmm. you have to work kind of hard to tease it out. And we're going to get to some, some more of that later. But that was what... And again, it's the experience of watching these movies with you that forces me to do this. After we watched it this time, and anticipating this conversation, I was like, what is this movie actually about? Hmm. Which, again, I saw this movie when I was 11 years old and loved it since then. Never really thought about that. Like, most truly successful great horror movies, they're about something. There's something else going on under the surface that we can talk about. I don't know if there is in this. Like I said, I think I think it it's there if you want to bring it out, but you have to do a lot of the work to yeah. get there. Yeah. And I don't know how much of it was in anybody's head when they made it. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? What, what What's it about? Spoiled American boy <laughs> looks up on a hot chick, turns into a werewolf because he's a pussy and he runs from his friend when he's being attacked. And then dies. And then dies. Because, okay, and I don't know, we're just going to skip around a lot here. <laughs> because the first level I was thinking about is most werewolf stories and werewolf-adjacent stories. I mean, and by that I mean, like, Jekyll and Hyde mm-hmm. is a werewolf-adjacent story. The Hulk is a werewolf-adjacent mm-hmm. story. Right? They're all about repressed emotion. Sure. This sort of primal animal within that we keep tamped down because of society and then it breaks out these sort of carnal lusts that come out and that's where i started looking at this and i'm like i that's sort of there i mean i guess the the animal within yeah so i think if you want to like and this is so this is us doing a lot of work right Right. it's like if you then want to say okay well what does it mean to take the sort of stereotypical neurotic Jewish man who is in a lot of ways sort of desexualized in pop culture. Right. And then give him this character through which he can be hypersexual. And, right. Um, and that's what I'm saying is that that sort of is there. Sure. Like even from those opening scenes with him and Jack walking through, Jack is talking about this girl back home that he mm-hmm. wants to fuck. Mm-hmm. And in very explicit terms yeah. that it's all about her body that he wants. And David is the the more restrained one. He's the one that's, like, giving Jack shit for that. Mm-hmm. I think Debbie Klein's a mediocre person with a good body. There's nothing mediocre about Debbie Klein's body. <laughs> She's a jerk. You're talking about the woman I love. I'm talking about a girl you want to fuck, so give me a break. All right. So there's that sort of division there where he's the more civilized, less just animalistic one. Mm-hmm. And then after he sleeps with... Jenny Agater, and I guess after, I I think what I'm remembering is after his first werewolf outing, he's like super horny. Yeah. He comes back to the apartment and he's like, his his libido has been activated. Feels the best he's ever felt in his life, and yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of there. Again, he doesn't have the range. (laughs) So I think it comes back to that. I kind of agree with you. It maybe could have been that he does not have the range. Right. And the and the script did not then compensate the for the fact that give he him does to, not have to tease have the that out either. Right. Yeah, because his performance doesn't really no. change. No. from the beginning of the movie until the end of the movie, right. he's still basically the same guy. He's a little boy. He's a horny little boy. That's all. 
there's not there's not like a dark side to him Mm-mm. as a human Mm-mm. that we see. The only moment, and you mentioned it, is when he runs away and leaves Jack to be killed. Like that, if you look at like, does this guy have a dark side? That's the only moment where he really does something wrong. Right. And even that, it's kind of hard it's to blame It's flight. It's, yeah, it's a very human <laughs> response. Right. Um, but yeah, he comes back way after he's uh, been sliced up. But like I said, I never thought about any of this before, really. And I started thinking about it in part because I saw a reference in one of these articles talking about how that the the Jewish theme was present from the original 1940s Wolfman. The screenwriter of that movie was a German Jew who had fled the Nazis. Mm. And he had said that he was partially inspired by seeing people around him turn into monsters. Hmm. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That is interesting. And again, I'm not 100% sure it's that's really developed and woven into to this movie thematically. Yeah, I mean I like I said it, it takes some work to get there and even if I if we do say okay, yes, that's what's going on, I don't think the film is successful in really exploring that. And I don't, and and then I it also goes with like is that what he's even trying to do? Like maybe he's just trying to make a horror movie that's funny and He's putting like there's some things in okay, there, well, but that, but that doesn't matter because you know we've we've talked about movies before. Where we it's have, like, we have. They they didn't mean to be <laughs> talking about any of the things they ended up talking about. We have. We um, said that we said that with Planet of the Apes. Yeah. We said that with uh, A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. That you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean it's and maybe that's what I find more frustrating about this film is that maybe there is a little part of me that's like, oh, this could have been. It could have been scary and funny and more interesting than it was. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is him as an actor, but I also think part of it is just like the story was not developed in the way to actually explore those things. All right. Well, let, let's let's try it. Let's try another theme here. Okay. Um, and people are going to be like, just talk about how good the transformation scene was. We'll do that too. So I came across this excellent article. I'm not being ironic. I thought this article was excellent. By Marissa Mercurio, writing an ancillary review of books, entitled Queer Moon Rising slash The Love of a Good Woman Won't Save You, colon, Queer, Jesus. Nar- queer Narratives in an American Werewolf in A London. slash and a colon? <laughs> slash and a colon That's in egregious. <laughs> I love it. And she says, David is not just a werewolf in London, he's a Jewish-American werewolf, imminently out of place and struggling to find his footing, a position further entrenched in an anti-Semitic culture that codes Jewish men as insufficiently masculine. And she goes on to just talk about the werewolf as a specifically queer monster distinct from society, a remnant of the Victorian occupation with public versus the private, the werewolf figures as a hidden self. He is a seemingly normal man who walks among us, but bears a dark and deadly secret. And then she goes on to develop this, and again, this is not something that ever would have occurred to me, but once I read this article and started thinking about it, it is there. And basically, her her thesis is, you know, the movie is a, is a struggle between David and Alex on one side and David and Jack on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that it is this sort of repressed homosexuality thing going on under the surface there. Okay. And again, not saying anyone necessarily <laughs> consciously put it in there, but I think it's a really interesting idea. So is she positing that there was some sort of subtext of like a romantic relationship between Jack and David? I, no, I don't I don't think that. Okay. I think she's talking about it as a metaphor that there's a sort of queer narrative metaphor going on here. Hmm. In which 
you know, the the question of being whether meeting the hot British nurse and falling in love with her, whether she can save him from this other side of himself. And Jack is the figure, whether you call it his subconscious or whatever, that keeps showing up and pulling him away from that relationship. He's he's to- He sleeps with Alex, he's totally happy with her, and then Jack shows up. Mm-hmm. Right? And says, you need to deal with this other thing that's going on inside of you. She's only going to get hurt. You need to to come away from this. I think there's other stuff going on that she, in the article, talks about, like, when he wakes up naked at the zoo, and then he's wearing this woman's coat. Mm -hmm. Right? There's that whole thing. Um, I think, from that perspective, I think the scene of the two of them sitting in the back of that porno theater is interesting. Mm -hmm. Right before his final transformation. Hmm. I don't know. It's I, I, I definitely think it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean I would have to I have I would have to sit with that one for a bit. And I encourage people to read this article because she explained it much better than I just did. <laughs> yeah, I mean possibly. I mean it's I think what I'm challenged by then is in pop culture, and I obviously haven't seen every representation of like a werewolf sort of transformation, they tend to be hyper heteronormative. Dynamics like it is animal lusting after woman, right? Aggressively, right? Um, so it doesn't seem to be like a ma- uh, like a a manifestation of like a secret self. I think that's what I'm I'm struggling with a little bit is that it's it has well, manifested in a way that is it's always a manifestation of like hidden desires and like repressed desires, right? But it is always heteronormative and it is always man usually to yeah. Well, yes, yes, usually I have not yes, but okay. So then this could be an interesting subversion of. That. I don't actually think it is, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> like we can... All right, I tried. I no, I mean, I like I will. I'll have to read the article. Um, but yeah, I'm just having a hard time making that that connection i think him you know waking up naked in the zoo and sort of taking on a woman's coat and like to me that falls more back to like okay are we making a statement about jewish men and like their masculinity and their sexuality right it is played for laughs it's like it's supposed to be funny that oh he has to wear this woman's coat right sure okay i suppose (laughs) all right So let's talk about the transformation scene. Wasn't that cool? Oh, my God. <laughs> transformation scene was very cool. It was awesome. Um, yeah. I and mean, it is one of those things where you have to watch it and remember. What year that was. What, what year that was. Yeah. That there is no CGI of any yeah. kind involved. That it is all practical effects in camera, in bright lights. Mm-hmm. And you watch the whole thing. I don't even know how long that sequence is. but It it's, feels long. It's pretty long. Yeah. You watch and see and hear bones every bone. <laughs> the sound design i think the sound design does not get talked about yeah enough it is really yeah you hear those bones yeah it sounds like a very painful terrible process and it would piss me off too if i had to go through it every full moon <laughs> the other thing landis said he said you know and if you watch like the original wolfman the scene is done in like dissolves yeah right and the guy's like the guy's basically sitting in a chair not moving right so they could line up the dissolves and it's like then they put a little makeup dissolve to him with a little more makeup on etc and he becomes the wolfman and that's what landis said he's like 
I think it would hurt. <laughs> like, I think it, it would, would absolutely be, fucking yeah. hurt. You're changing your entire biological structure. <laughs> uh, this movie did win the first ever Academy Award for makeup. Hmm. You'll hear it talked about like they invented the award for this movie. They didn't. What happened was the year before the Elephant Man had come out mm. and people talked about there should be like that that makeup deserved an Oscar. Why isn't there a category for yeah. that? Yeah. So they invented the category and then this Rick Baker won the first of I think seven Oscars that he has for mm. makeup. Good on him. But yeah, it, it's it's pretty incredible. And that is definitely the showpiece. Like if this movie is remembered for nothing else it will be remembered for that scene. Yeah. And I, and I do think, and it's not, I'm not shitting on the tech. I, I do think it's unfortunate that the completed wolf didn't look as good. I don't think it looked bad. No? It wasn't, for me at least, it wasn't like laugh out loud, that's ridiculous. No, it wasn't. But it was it was clear to me that they did not want to show too much of it. That, that was more work than they could manage was to... You know, you basically saw its head come into frame. Yeah. And Griffin Dunn said uh, on the commentary track, he he talks about that scene where he's first attacked. And he's like, it was just a wolf head on a wheelbarrow that they kept, you know, <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> stabbing at me with. <laughs> but yeah, those scenes of the attacks, we, we see, what is it? We see a couple. Yeah, in like a backyard somewhere. Attacked. And then we see the guy in the, the subway. underground. Um, and that, I think I like that scene too, just because I like, and uh, you know, you've lived in Chicago as long as I have. It's like, sometimes you're on on the subway late at night Mm -hmm. and it's empty like that. Like it is creepy as shit. It is creepy. I would argue another random ass tangent here. Sure. That the subway scene in The Wiz (laughs) (laughs) is much more frightening actually. That scene freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, no, that, is, that is a scary scene. <laughs> when the dude comes down the stairs with his like little thing. <laughs> That's actually a scarier scene. But yes, it was very well done. And the very sort of prim, proper British dude sort of trying to bureaucracy his way out of a life or death situation was... Hello? Is there someone there? I can assure you that this is not in the least bit amusing. I shall report this. Well, that that is some amusing you know, satire of just Britishness yes. right there. Yes. That, you know, I assure you, I don't find this the least bit amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Running with his briefcase and his umbrella from the gigantic wolf, um, and then he dies on the escalator, which should have pleased you because yes, you have because a, you have a thing about how escalators people die are on escalators deadly. they are not secretly deadly <laughs> they are known to be deadly okay people die on escalators all the damn time and i don't know why this is something that you you act like it's you know a, per, a life or death situation every time we ride an escalator it is it is all it takes is one errant shoelace your whole leg's coming off uh and then what three three like homeless gentlemen get killed too yes uh but again, we don't really see no. a lot of that. It's just you see like body parts and blood and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, you don't actually see the yeah. attack itself. But then they all turn up in the porno theater. Yeah, the porno. There's some random ass shit in this movie. <laughs> the porno is so aggressively present. Mm-hmm. Like it would be one thing if they were in a porno theater and then you heard just so like some moaning in the background. 
But the the porno is no, no. They actually in the space. They shot a porno. Yeah, like it was there, and that then was the not, porno. That was not. They didn't even take an existing porno. John Landis shot his own porno. It was a hella weird porno. To show in this movie, the See You Next Wednesday porno, yeah, which is a a running gag in John Landis movies. And now that you know that, you can look for it in trading. Pla- it's in Trading Places. It's in Coming to America. I forget where. Hmm. But there's, like, posters for See You Next Wednesday and stuff like that. I'll have to go back and check those out. Um, I think I think in Trading Places, Jamie Curtis, in her apartment, she has a poster mm. for it. And I think it's, like, a different movie every time you see it, but it's always called that. See You Next Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a weird-ass porno of, like, mistaken... Not even... <laughs> I don't know if it's mistaken, but it's, like, a dude walks into a room and is like, hey, you're fucking my lady, or I told you and nothing. she's like, I've never seen you I before. don't know who you are. He's like, oh, sorry, wrong room. And he walks out, and then she sort of answers the phone somewhere through it. It's just... So it's just... I think you're worried a little too much. I mean, fine. Because it's so if you have, pleasant. If you have issues you with the can't. plot of a, the movie... Fine, but if you now you have issues with the plot of. The I don't movie have issues with it. I am fascinated by how, again, how present it was in the space. It was not background noise. No, no, it, this was a set. Piece. At this point, we're now watching the porno. Yeah, and so of course, and I'm does like, well, not, what the hell does is going on in this? Porno? Not that speak to the whole idea of sexuality and sure. the, the thematic. Sure. His two transformations come. The first one comes after he sleeps with Alex, and the second one comes in a porno theater. So Fine. that would suggest that sex is, you know, thematically at the center of of this werewolf. Story. Well, then I would argue it's not about him being queer. It's about him having like some sort of necromancy or something because it happens when he sees dead people and he's talking to dead people. <laughs> so maybe that's what gets him off. Sure, I, I can see that. <laughs> the neck flap did it for him. <laughs> that little flap in the wind is like, oh, yeah, that's a hot one. <laughs> so if you want to do a slash colon, <laughs> let's talk about that. And change the name of my website to slash colon. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was a good scene of basically all of his victims saying, kill yourself. Yeah, that's it's a very funny scene. It is. How shall I do it? Sleeping pills. Not sure enough. I could hang myself. No. No, if you did it wrong, it could be painful. You'd choke to death. So what? Let him choke. Do you mind? The man's a friend of mine. Well, he ain't no friend to me. Gentlemen, please. The gun! I know where you can get a gun. Don't I need a silver bullet or something? Oh, be serious, would you? They're all, and again, they're also most most of them are just inexplicably cheery. Yeah, no, they're very straightforward. But I was like, you just have to kill yourself. <laughs> a gun. This is after he tried to like slice his wrist open with like a fingernail file in the, which is like, dude. <laughs> it was a Swiss Army knife. Barely. <laughs> he didn't get very far with it. Exactly, that. because it was nothing. <laughs> That's a sad scene. He calls home. He talks it's to his sister. It's actually not sad. Oh, dear. I did not find that sad at all. Come on. His sister obviously didn't give a shit. This is at this is at this point. He knows what he is. He knows he has to die. He calls to say goodbye to his family. Yeah. You really didn't care. I did not care about him at all. Oh, God. This movie just reminded me of other things that I wanted to watch instead. <laughs> so that scene, you may have never seen this, but there is an episode of Roseanne before we knew um, <laughs> who Roseanne was. <laughs> Roseanne was, where their dad dies, mm-hmm. and she makes Jackie call like their aunt or something to tell the aunt that the dad died, and the, the aunt is like hard of hearing or something. And so Jackie's on the phone, and she's like, I have some bad news. Dad has passed away, and it's clear like the aunt isn't understanding or she can't hear. Dad's dead. <laughs> Still nothing. Dad's dead! And she's fucking louder. He's passed away. He's no longer with us. 
does. He's fine. He sends his love. And then she hangs up. <laughs> it's like, I don't know why it reminded me of that, but this idea of like this phone call that you are trying to have this moment uh-huh. and like share this really hard, difficult news. And the other person on the other end is just, just not, not in the mood for it, doesn't receive it, doesn't acknowledge that anything is happening. And you just hang up and then you try to slice your wrist open with a fingernail file and you <laughs> fail epically. And then you go to porno, get hard talking to your dead friend and turn it to a werewolf. So, sure. Awesome film. Classic. How about the ending? How the ending worked for He you? died. Good. So, I don't... <laughs> I guess if I appreciate anything, again, going back to the problem of Alex, is that it wasn't, oh, her love saved him. I appreciated that they did right. do that Beauty and the Beast bullshit. And that he just, no, he needed to die. Um, right. Doesn't, doesn't save him. And he it doesn't even, the traditional beat of that would have been that, you know, because she looks at the wolf in the eyes right. and says, I love you, David. And he at least would have, like, killed himself at some, right. like, run away from her or something. No, he's going to kill you her. You know, he's going to attack Like, her. he's going to leap at her throat and tear yeah. her throat out. <laughs> yeah. And so then, I appreciate that. So, again, message to any young girls, that doesn't end well. <laughs> Don't try to fix Don't broken men. Don't try to fix broken men. <laughs> Shoot them. Like a hundred times. <laughs> Make sure they're dead. <laughs> I feel like you're being kind of hard on David. <laughs> I don't like him. That reminds me. Here, Here's my question. Here's here's one of my issues. Okay. There's a, the whole thing in the slaughtered lamb where all the, all the locals know there's a werewolf mm-hmm. in the area. Right? They're, mm-hmm. they're all crystal clear on that point. Yes. They're, you know, burned the, they've got the candles going and the pentagram, pentagram and, and mm-hmm. all of that to ward the werewolf away. Then they feel guilty about sending the boys out to be eaten by the werewolf and they go looking for them and they all shoot the werewolf. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they, why hadn't they done that already? Uh, if you could just shoot the werewolf, if just hunt the werewolf and shoot the werewolf, what were they waiting for? I don't know. Maybe he needed to be eating a person so he was vulnerable. And like, cause he was that, paying that's attention. A, that's some. I mean, it's fucked up. Well, they had already canning, they had already decided they were okay that's with those not... two people dying. So let's not act like the morality came into play here. Right, but presumably the werewolf had been roaming this countryside for a while at this point. Right, but they probably didn't know the exact place and time that that those attacks were going to happen. Whereas this, they pretty much knew where those boys were. They heard the wolf. Attack. So they were basically using the boys as bait. Well, I mean, maybe not consciously, but that probably <laughs> you know created an environment where they could then say, okay, we know where he is. Let's go shoot. Because it turns out you don't need a silver bullet or anything. No, that's, you just you shoot know, it. established. Yeah. You just shoot him. You right. just shoot him. I feel like they maybe should have put a posse together out of the slaughtered I mean, lamb they earlier. Were and totally in denial about anything. Dealt with like this they just problem. were all sitting in a pub where apparently you can only get beer and tea. So. <laughs> and why was this, this like entire conspiracy of everyone to like protect Proctor, East Proctor? When did we decide that East Proctor was so fucking important <laughs> that we needed to maintain his fucking Yelp status or whatever? Like. <laughs> How about we just say, no, don't do that. It's Chernobyl. Don't go there. <laughs> what what haven't, I don't feel like we've done this. What haven't we talked about here? You do it justice. I started this by saying, I don't like that dude. <laughs> and that has caused me problems with the film. Did you think it was funny? You thought Jack was funny. Yeah. So a few parts, sure. <laughs> but not, <laughs> not enough to make up for the fact that I did not enjoy the center of the film. Did you think it was scary? No. No. 
It was atmospheric in the beginning. That's good. I appreciate that. Okay, we'll take that, I guess. Um, sure. No, I did not find it scary. All right. I don't think werewolves do it for me in terms of fear. You're not afraid of werewolves. I mean, if I ran into a werewolf on the street, yes, I would be afraid of it. But I don't. That's not the horror trope that's going to get me. Why is that? I don't know. It just doesn't, just a big ass dog. It just doesn't do <laughs> anything for me. Like it doesn't, it's almost like, it's like watching someone get mauled by like just any, any animal. Right. Yeah. Like it's just, so it's not a horror. It's not a, it's, it's scary because like no one would want that to happen to them, but it isn't, it doesn't tap into that primal, like deep fear thing for me. Okay. I can see that. What, what does? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if any of the, like the big dudes do. Like Dracula. Mm. Not Zombies, mm, um, ghosts. I think ghosts, I think ghosts more like supernatural more, mm-hmm. that that sort of shit. I think that is probably Cause you, more because you sort of partially believe in them. It's so not even partially. Like, I absolutely believe yeah, there's okay. some shit that. So like things like that. Um, like we just watched the original Candyman. Like even that still mm-hmm. like I'm still like don't say his You're name. Still scared of Candyman. Yeah, like do yeah, not no. do that. Like I, yeah. I started to make some jokes about it and you, yeah. you just shut that. No, right I down. absolutely not. Like we're not. So anything that's <laughs> you like don't fuck around with it. Evil because I do fundamentally believe in evil uh-huh. and like that is a thing that could absolutely. Um, I think that's the stuff that scares me more than okay. anything else. A man who turns into a big slobbering dog it's is just a man. Not that different from a man, really. Fundamentally, I mean, geez, <laughs> it's just sort of like okay, say the fuck out of you know bear country, like. <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. So don't bring the guy home from the hospital <laughs> with you. <laughs> well, this is always your thing with horror movies: is that I would not be. In I that would situation. not be in the situation. You're you're not going to be wandering northern England. You going go into, into the pubs. bar and you see a pentagram on the wall. You know what you do? You say, "Let's go find a sheep truck and get the fuck out." Like that's all right. Mm-mm. No. Back on the sheep yeah. truck. No. Okay. Anything else to say about an American werewolf in London? Nope. Would you watch it again? No, I would watch Jack again. The effects on him, I mean, it, it, they were just really well done. <laughs> it was just so well done. And he was a funny character. Apparently one of the scenes that got cut out, I guess for some reason, and I think John Land has talked about, like he found it strange that the censors had a problem with this and they didn't have a problem with other, other things in the movie. Uh, in that scene in the hospital, Jack, you know, because he said, can I have a piece of your toast? Mm-hmm. He apparently ate the toast and like the toast fell out of his throat. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to cut that out for the to that, get the R rating. That is a weird line. Right? That yeah. is a weird line That's to draw. It's a weird line. <laughs> okay. Give uh, that neck flap an Oscar. <laughs> well, they did. <laughs> our show. We want to thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us again next week as the Unenthusiastic Critics Halloween Movie Marathon continues. Nakia, I'm not sure our next film is technically classified as a horror film per se, but that's because it is impossible to classify it as anything at all except Lynchian. Oh, Jesus. We are going to be watching David Lynch's surrealistic, deeply disturbing debut feature, Eraserhead, from 1978. Okay. How do you how do you feel about David Lynch? I you know what, <laughs> David Lynch is very good at what he does. He leaves indelible marks on my brain <laughs> that I have never been able to scrub, no matter how much I would want to. So uh-huh. I imagine this will. That's why I chose bring more this. of that into my life. So. There are. I think a few images in this movie and one I have in mind definitely that should 
occupy a permanent place in your awesome. Awesome. In your brain. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> for those of you watching along at home, Eraserhead is currently streaming for subscribers on HBO Max and the Criterion channel, and it's available to rent from most of the other services. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can find additional episodes and posts, including our entire 10-year back catalog of Nakia's experiences with horror movies. You can also follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show, or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, thanks for listening, and remember... True love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. I will say that when I was, you know, in my late 20s, I, I did travel Europe by myself, sort of in the off season. Did you stay on the roads? I, I, I stayed on the roads. I, I didn't wander onto the moors. Mm -hmm. I do remember walking into a lot of places and feeling like I was walking into the slaughtered lamb. And I, and I wanted... The Jenny Agater experience, and I, I did not get that. So, bummer for you. Nonetheless, I think this movie sort of shaped all of my expectations about what traveling in Europe was going to be like. That's sad. <laughs> it's really sad. Let's talk about the fact that your greatest fear was a white man in Europe feeling outside. <laughs> you, you, want, you want to talk about that? Let's really? unpack that. <laughs> what, what is there to unpack there? Exactly. I felt uncomfortable. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. In a country of other white men. Somebody may look at me weird in a bar. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, I'm, you're going to put it in that perspective. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs>